Thank you, Dave. One of our elders. Grateful. In Exodus 29, um, the Lord tells Moses to consecrate Aaron and his sons as priests. Exodus 29. But then Aaron disappears off the scene. It's not heard from again for quite a long time. And that raises a bunch of questions. Just to help you understand where this sits in the chronology, in Exodus 19, they had just come out of Egypt, a bunch of slaves, and they don't know very much about anything, and God says that he's going to make them a kingdom of priests. And then uh, Moses goes up and gets the Ten Commandments and some other things. Exodus uh, 24, the people say, all that the Lord has said we will do, and the covenant is now in place. God says, if you obey me, I'll make you a kingdom of priests. And the people say, all that the Lord has said, we will do. Then Exodus 29, just a couple chapters later, they, uh, he tells them to consecrate Aaron as a priest. And then in Exodus 32, Moses goes back up on the mountain and the people build a golden calf. Didn't last long, their commitment. And then uh, Aaron disappears from the story. He's not there. So what happened? Was he disqualified because he was complicit in the idol worship? Hmm. Today we're going to talk about priesthood. We're in a series called A Different Kind of Faith. And I've been using the picture of trying every week where God extends an open hand to us, not like any other God or gods in the history of the world. He offers us something Wonderful, And at the same time he's offering it to us, he's inviting us into something, a relationship with him. So every week we've been looking at different things that God has given us. And whatever he gives us is meant to be passed on, to be used for the, the betterment of society and community, the betterment of our, our friends and neighbors. We all have friends and neighbors that live around us, that we live with all the time, that don't know him. And so these gifts that he gives us are designed to be used for their benefit. Today we're going to talk about priesthood. Now we're going to not say very much about Jesus. He is our high priest. Most of you know that. What I want to talk about is what does this mean for you? You see, priesthood is one of those areas where we, the church is easily divided. We're no different. Our church, we're a community church. We have every denomination you can imagine sitting here. Um, most of them right, a few of them wrong. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. If you come from a higher church tradition, you usually have a perspective of a priest that is that is very elevated, which is nothing wrong with that. We're going to come back and actually talk about that. But it's something that none of you would ever qualify for. That's how you conceive of it. If you come from a lower church organization, typically, or background, typically you think we don't need priests anymore because Jesus is our high priest. So we don't have priests. And I'm going to hopefully navigate down the middle of that and tell you that both of you are wrong. And there actually is a better way to think about priesthood from God's perspective. So, Exodus 19, God, they've been out of uh, is, uh, Egypt for a few weeks now. And they're sitting at the base of Mount Sinai. So picture uh, Buffalo right there is actually Mount Sinai. Okay. And you're sitting in the sand. You're all sitting on the edge of your sand dunes because you have no idea what it's like to serve this God. You've never met him. 
All you did was saw the power through the 10 plagues. But you've never actually met him. Who is this God? We don't know when the last time he spoke was because the Bible doesn't tell us. Hundreds of years. Error in Egypt over 400 years. We don't have a record that he ever talked. Oh, I'm sure the stories were passed down from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that's not the same as hearing the Lord and meeting him personally. So in Exodus 19, you're sitting at the base of Sinai, and God introduces himself. If you haven't read that chapter, it's worth reading. Uh, The mountain is covered in smoke. We're actually a little closer. And uh, it's shaking. It starts shaking. There's this massive earthquake and the sound like trumpets blaring. And uh, there's lightning. And whenever God speaks, it's this huge sound of like thunder. That's how he introduced himself. Exodus 20, uh, the people are now over on this side of the valley. So Exodus 19, they're over by the mountain. Exodus 20, they're over here. What happened? They ran away. He terrified them. That's what happened. He terrified them. I just think it's hilarious. Of course, I would have been one of the ones running. And so he's over, they're over there, and Moses is chugging along after them and catches up to them, and he says, don't be afraid. How could, on earth, could we not be afraid? We saw what he did to the Egyptians, and we saw what he did over here. Then he says those wonderful words. He did that so that his fear would be inside of you, so that you would know that he is your God. So it's something like this. Our God is bigger than your God. And that was the truth all through the Old Testament. So he showed them his power over here, scared them to death, so that they would know from then on that the God that they served was their God, and they didn't have to worry about the gods of any of the nations. So Moses goes after him. So now we don't know how much time has passed. Exodus 29, the Lord said to Moses to consecrate Aaron and his sons. And then Moses goes back up on the mountain to get, to get more of these wonderful words from the Lord that we have recorded in Scripture. So partway through, God's having a conversation with him and says, okay, let's talk about, oh no, there go your people again. Your people, I love that kind of language, to Moses, your people just created a golden calf, an idol, and they worship it. Go down and take care of your people that you brought out of Egypt. And Moses says, no, uh, actually, God, they're your people. You brought them out of Egypt. It's one of my favorite stories as they have this tussle, this tug of war of who do they actually belong to. Okay. And so he goes down from the mountain and there's a golden calf. So he says to Aaron, Aaron, what were you thinking? I was just told to consecrate you as a priest. And what does Aaron say? Well, I collected the gold and threw it in the furnace and out popped this golden calf. It doesn't work that way, does it? He made it. (laughs) Scriptures are very clear. He made it. But then he disappears from the scene. He disappears. And he doesn't appear again until Leviticus 8. Now, we don't know how long it takes to get from Exodus 29 to Leviticus 8. We do know that they sat in the valley for a year while while God taught them. So at some period of time later. Now, They've been told they're going to be a kingdom of priests. And they know that Aaron has been told to become the high priest. But his name disappears. Did he disqualify himself with the golden calf? Is that what happened? That's what you would expect. That's what happened in the other nations. 
and he reappears in Leviticus 8. What happens in between? Exodus 35 through 40, God gives all the instructions for the tabernacle, which later on he repeats for the temple. Because what he has just revealed to the people is that they need a place where they could come worship the Lord. They need that. Because he it wasn't five minutes after they said, we will do all that the Lord has said, and they've already scattered into idolatry. But that's what they were raised with in Egypt. They didn't know. If you read the account of the golden calf carefully, after uh, Aaron fashioned this idol, he said, wake up tomorrow and we will worship Yahweh. They decided to worship the Lord the only way they knew how, and that's what they did in Egypt. And God had to teach them several lessons. One is that they actually need a place that's considered holy that they can come to to worship. We call that the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Later on, it became the temple. Next, we're going to talk about the spiritual temple. So tuck this little tidbit back away in your mind. A place where people can come and meet the Lord. So he spends spends Exodus 35 through 40 to describe what this tabernacle is going to look like. Then he said, just to give you a picture of what this is supposed to be like, he took the 12 tribes and he divided them four, 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 and four and put the tabernacle right in the middle. That way, wherever they looked, they could see. So just picture the tent here with our sound guys. By the way, guys, thanks for all you do. Yeah. Not only do they make it sound wonderful, but they are the ones that figured out the live streaming that many of you have watched. So we're very grateful. But picture this, right in the middle of us, we could all look and see the green covering. They could all look and see the tabernacle. That's the Lord's way of saying, I'm with you. I'm in your midst. Okay. Right in the middle. The story goes on and gets really good. We're not going to spend too much time on the rest of the story today. But, but once they send the golden calf, once he decides to move them, he said, uh, you guys go up, to eat, uh, go up to the promised land, but I'm not going with you because you sinned. That's, picture this as a children's picture book, and God is teaching them lessons. And so they're all sorrowful, and they take off their jewelry, which they had just been given by the Egyptians as a way of saying, we're wrong. So Moses says to God, now I think you better go up. Because if you don't, all the other nations are going to say, wow, some God you are, you can't even take care of your own people. So God says, okay, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put my tent out over there. You guys are all here and my tent's over on the horizon. So it says whenever Moses went out to the tent to meet with God, all the people stood by their tents. You can picture this and they're all watching. When's God coming back? That's how they traveled for a little ways. So God could teach them a lesson. You want me in the middle midst of you? Then listen to my words. So he builds the tabernacle so they have a place to come. And then Leviticus 1 through 7, he talks about all the sacrifices. Sacrifices are so delightful. We'll look at that later on in the summer. The sacrifices, they're wonderful. We had a God that told us what he expected. None of the other gods of the nations never spoke. We know why now they weren't real, but they didn't know that. Our God spoke. 
our God spoke. That's why Paul can say the law is wonderful, it's righteous, it's perfect, it's good. That's why David said, I love your law, O Lord, because our God spoke. They didn't have to guess. It was very simple. Here they are. We'll come back to that a little bit later. It's not until Leviticus 8 that he talks about the priesthood. And then guess what he says in Leviticus 8? Grab Aaron and his sons and consecrate them. No, he didn't forget about Aaron. And no, he didn't kick Aaron out of the priesthood because Aaron sinned. He didn't do that. That's an important lesson for us to remember later on when we get to the New Testament. So why is it important that Aaron's family line was given responsibility for the priesthood? Well, if you look at the priesthood of the surrounding nations, the priests could be bought, they could be appointed, they could be persuaded, they, could, they had power. And so by picking one of the tribes, said that's your responsibility, that was safeguarding against that very thing, being bought which later on Israel did when they turned away from the Lord. They began to pick who they wanted to be the priests. Sometimes the, king, sometimes the kings would decide, I'm going to be the high priest. And so when they were walking with the Lord, the, the Levites, the tribe, they had their responsibility was to guard the temple, the tabernacle later the temple, and to guide the people into what they're supposed to do. And the golden calf revealed that they didn't have a clue. It was very confusing for them. They had just come out of Egypt. It's very confusing. And the priests were there to hold the line, if you will. So we have several cases, several times throughout the Kings and the Chronicles where a king would decide to do something and the priests would show up and they would get in front of him. You can't go into the temple. You can't. That's our job, not yours. In fact, one of the kings said, get out of my way, I'm going to do it anyway. He walks in and he turns leprous immediately. It's God's way of saying, I have people here that are supposed to protect this sacred space and help every one of the nation to understand what to do. That's the background of the priesthood. They served a very important function. So let me just tell you what some of their responsibilities were. According to Leviticus 10, uh, by the way, 9 and 10, Leviticus 8, 9 and 10 are the three chapters that are dealing with the priesthood. So Exodus 35 and 40, let's build a sanctuary. We'll call it a tabernacle, tent of meeting. Then Leviticus 1 through 7, here's what God expects in the way of sacrifices. And then 8, 9 and 10, and here are the priests that will help you do that. And even the priests were confused. When you get to uh, Leviticus 10, the last of those three chapters, you have a, uh, Nadab and Abihu, they offer the wrong fire. And God kills them. They're not even sure what the right response is. Of course, they, it says later on that they did it on purpose. They blasphemed God in their heart. So there was really a need for very clear instruction for what holiness looks like. And what holiness looks like. And so the priests, as you read chapters 9 and 10, it tells you several things. Number one is that they were to teach the law to the people. Hebrews 11 verse 10. That was their responsibility. The priests... First of all, not everyone had a Bible like us. You had 20 different versions on your phone. They had to hand copy everything. You couldn't even get one. It wasn't until the 1500s that people had a Bible that they could look at when we had the printing press. 
So for most of the history of God's people, they never had a copy of the Bible. How are they supposed to learn? That's what the priests were for, was to teach them. That's one of the functions. But another one of their functions was to bring the sacrifices of the people to God and to help them moderate that and mediate that well. And to help them say, so why are you bringing this sacrifice? Is it a thanksgiving sacrifice? Is it a sin sacrifice? What is it? You're supposed to confess your sin. So I have this picture of how often would we, would I go to the temple to sacrifice an animal for sin? Every day. You know, so they obviously had some hierarchy of when they went, when they didn't. But they're supposed to confess their sins publicly. So you could see a line of people bringing their, their cows to the altar. And the priest said, okay, so what was, what's your sin? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. What was that? Well, I'm sorry, I still didn't hear that. Well, I slept with my neighbor's wife and your neighbor's right behind you. Ooh, that would be tough. So they had to, the priests had to mediate that. Look at it this way. Two of the primary responsibilities was to bring God to the people. Let me teach you about this wonderful, loving God. It's wonderful. If you sin... Bring a sacrifice and we'll make it right. You don't have to be afraid. That's why Moses could say, don't be afraid when they ran from there to there. He could say, don't be afraid. That's one of the most frequent commands in the Bible. Don't be afraid. You see, here's the heart of the gospel. We serve the one true living God who cares about every one of you and every one of these other people that we know and loves them. You have nothing to be afraid of. Really. And that's what the priests were there to help them offer the sacrifices well. They brought God to the people. Let me tell you how wonderful our God is. And they brought the people to God and say, you don't need to be afraid. But then they had a third function. Now think about this by the time we get to the New Testament, because this is very important. The third function, they were to bless the people. They were to bless the people. All the benedictions of Scripture make His face to shine upon you. Is that wonderful? To God be the glory. Is that wonderful? Paul in Ephesians 3, God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or even think about. To Him be the glory in the church. The Bible is rich with all these benedictions where they bless the people and they bless God at the same time. See, that was a third function. Those are the three primary functions of the priesthood. To bring God to the people, to explain to them who he is, to bring the people to God, to help them negotiate sacrifice and sin and blessing and all of that, and to bless the people. That's all in Leviticus 9 and 10. Not going to read all those, but that's all. You see, what they did was the, pro the, the whole purpose of the priesthood was very missional. It's to help people fulfill the covenant that they made with God. Every one of you, when you turn to Christ, you entered into a covenant. We don't use that language so much today, but that's really what it was. You're making a commitment to turn to him in faith, and he's making a commitment to stand by you. Honor you. Oh, kick you in the tail when you need it. But to guide you. 
And so what role does a priesthood play today? As Israel turned away from the Lord, um, the priesthood became corrupt. That's what happened. As they turned away from the Lord. Eventually, Israel divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was destroyed, led away. The southern kingdom was led away as well. Now, after they were led away, the southern kingdom into Babylon, Isaiah writes to give them hope. God has not forgotten you. And here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 61, the very end of the book. You, you all will be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of our God. That's what his promise was way back in Exodus 19. If you obey me, I will make you a kingdom of priests. Pause. Some of you have seen me do this. The moment he says you're a priest, your first question should be to turn and say, who am I a priest on behalf of? Who? Those people up there. Our friends and neighbors at the grocery store, next door neighbors, whoever we happen to meet, whoever your neighbor is. That's who we're to be priests of. When is this going to happen in the future? Listen to the beginning of the paragraph. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you will be called priests of the Lord. Two verses later. When did that happen? Those verses sound familiar to you? How many of you have heard those verses? Yeah. That's when Jesus entered the temple or the synagogue at Nazareth, opened up the Isaiah scroll, and he read these verses, and he said, this very day, this has happened. You know what that means? Every one of you are priests. Every one. What God envisioned all along happened because of the ministry of Christ. So what does it mean that you are priests? Let me just give you a couple of thoughts. Paul, in Romans, Romans chapter 15, he actually uses the word. There's two or three places where it's actually used. Romans 15, verses 14 to 16. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. Okay, is that blessing? Let me say it this way. I am convinced brothers and sisters from DCC, that you are full of goodness, you're filled with knowledge, and you're competent to instruct one another. There's that blessing. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace of God, the grace that God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the good news of God. So the Gentiles, so that they might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. There's one of the aspects of priesthood. Every one of you, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are a priest. And part of that priestly duty is to share this fantastic news of what God has done for you, what God has done for us. 
I don't know about you, but I love worshiping together. I'm so glad we have this park. I love being with you. Peter goes a little bit further. And you heard this, read. Dave read it. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, you, DCC, all of you believers, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. We just said one of those spiritual sacrifices is following, seeing people turn to the Lord. What a great gift we have. But he goes on a little bit later. You are a chosen people. And this is a quote from Exodus 19 when they just are hearing God for the very first time. This is a quote from Exodus 19. But you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. God's special possession so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. There it is again. The same idea. We have a message that is wonderful. You know what that message is? We have a loving God that cares about you. You have a Savior. His name is Jesus. Don't ever be afraid to tell people that. Don't ever be ashamed to be called a Christian. Okay, now let me say just a word about back up to where I was at the beginning because we have a lot of views of what a priest looks like. Yes, a priest is ordained by God. But we've heard just those two verses. There's several others that every one of you have been ordained by God. The moment you turn to him, you're a priest. What that means is, as we just sang a minute ago, that they would know us by our love. That's the heart of priesthood. In a world that's very dark and confused, confusion reigns all over the place. If any of you are still left here that happen to read the media, I hope there aren't many of you, but if there are, You know what I'm talking about. Talk about a confused world. A world filled with bitterness and hostility, division, hatred. We have a mission in this dark world, and that's to eliminate the confusion as priests and bring to bear love. That's what it means. Well, what about the responsibility to teach the people the word of God? I I don't know how to do that. Well, guess what? You have all of these priests and then you have a high priest, Jesus. And God has given you gifts. Church, here it is in Ephesians 4. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Why? To do the work of ministry. That's not what it says. He's given those groups, those gifts to the church to equip his people for work of ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up. I've asked the question a long time, many, many times. Who has a more important role? You to be out there loving all of your friends and neighbors and whatever your job and career is, wherever you go, wherever the Lord happens to take you? Or me, who has a responsibility to equip you to know how to do it well? You do. You're the ones on the front line. Oh, I have my own ministry on the front line. You know that. But my primary role as a gift is to bless all of you, to teach you the ways of the Lord so that you can go do what a priest is supposed to do. You see, this is what God envisioned all along, is to have a whole worldwide group of people. Oh, yes, we love him. But just as important, we are priests in that we care for our neighbor. 
Now we're back to who's our neighbor? Whoever you happen to be standing in front of. That too. And you have a message that the world cannot even fathom. You have nothing to be afraid of because it is the message that God empowers. We serve the one true living God. That's who we serve. And he loves you and he loves you. He loves you and you and you and you and you and you and you. He loves all of them. He loves every person you're going to meet in the grocery store, in the work environment, the gas station, wherever you happen to go. He loves every one of them. And you see, being a priest is simply revealing that love to them and letting them know that they're loved. That's what it means to be a priest. So for those that come from a high church, sure, we should respect the priesthood, but it's not unique. Within Christianity, every one of you is a priest. For those of you that come from the lower church history, tradition, don't, don't shy away from priesthood. We're all priests. So what is our role? It's a missional role. It's a role to bring to a very confused world a clear picture of who God is. And it starts, just like with Nadab and Abihu, it starts with our very own lives. To work hard, as Paul says, to love the Lord. But on the other side of it, don't be afraid. Because we have a God who has made it possible that fast to fix the relationship. That fast. You have nothing to be afraid of. When you sin, guess what? You're just like me. You're just like everybody around you. Just tell the Lord, that was stupid. That's repentance. It's confession. That was stupid. You're right, it was. It's really that simple. On one hand, you have nothing to be afraid of. On the other hand, we have the Spirit to guide us to live lives worthy of that calling, as Paul says. And then we have the ability to act as true priests in the, in the lives of our friends by telling them and showing them what love looks like. To bring, in a very confused world, to bring truth to bear. Father, thank you for making us priests. Thank you for the story of Aaron, who you never gave up on. It's a reminder to us that you don't ever give up on us. Thank you for giving us a role to play in your kingdom. We already are learning to love our friends and neighbors, but now you've supernaturally enabled us to help them turn to you by living our lives well and loving them well. Thank you for that. What an awesome privilege that is. We... uh we lift up your name in honor and praise and we do it in the name of your son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. Amen.